Hello and welcome to the Found Cause, where we found a cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael William behind the machine, and to my right, your left is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Sebastian, I'm gonna go quick because we're doing a reaction video today, and we have no time to waste. I was told by a good friend of mine, my fiance, that when we do fast videos, when we play reaction videos with a fast video, even if it's just 1.25 times speed or whatever, those who listen to our podcast at two times speed or at some increased speed because they're masochists um, cannot understand the <laughs> video being reacted. I am one of the people that listens to our own podcast two times speed and pretty much anything. Um, can hardly understand me at two times speed so you definitely can't understand somebody on actual two times speed sitting next to me so we're gonna play this at one time speed i'm going fast this episode is on the woke church sebastian and we could have picked a bunch of like crazy rabid woke church clips we've talked about the woke church before woke being a, a stand-in for those who are have awoken to liberal liberal politics and they're applying it into the church usually it has to do with race um, we could have picked some crazy ones of like black churches screaming and squealing and the organ playing in the background and loving vaccines or we could have done a million pastor's wives saying i'm so racist i'm so sorry but we've decided that instead of taking just like a super funny woke preacher clip we've decided to take one that's a lot more insidious it's 10 minutes long so it's, it's going to be serious it's one at perimeter church actually it's not from a perimeter church pastor but perimeter church in Atlanta is a big presbyterian church that my family and i have attended when i was a little kid um, this is just a speaker there. So this is not one of their pastors, but this is at large Presbyterian Baptist churches that are considered conservative. And we wanted to show you how woke ideology is being pitched to conservative congregations. So the liberal congregations, it's super easy to see wokeness. Those, you know, your grandma and everybody else these days is equipped to fight. They're like, that's CRT. And I hate CRT, which I agree. We hate CRT. But I think what we're about to react to is more of what you'll see if critical theory if woke theology is making it way into the conservative church it's not going to sound like the tucker carlson clips that you see on fox news it's going to sound like this any comments before we get into this Sebastian? i think you got it all and let's dive right okay, in let's go sunday's still this, the most segregated day of the week and for many of us we're comfortable with it because we're like hey people like what they like that's it boo okay i had that comment immediately yeah segregated day of the week what well he's true and that there's a stat i think from some book or whatever that uh, if you hear somebody quoting this um they're already in trouble town because they're already listening to like weird racist sources but um there is some book i'm forgetting what it is that started this trend saying that um, sunday is the most segregated hour or whatever of the week because black churches are so segregated okay they don't say that last part because who do you think segregates churches it's not white people being like, kabooey, get out of my church. You know, you're too black. I can't have you. It's black churches saying, you guys aren't like me. We're going to go make our own church. And if you look at mm. church history in the U.S., that's exactly what happened. Um, there were some instances of churches being, we don't accept black elders um, because of many different traditions. And I can understand why those churches spawned black churches. But past that point, which is, you know, point back to like 1880, um, past that point, that is not the by and large region, especially in the north is where me and Sebastian are, and there are definitely black churches up here in the north. That was never the case. It was not a racist thing. It was a culture thing. You know, black people come from a different culture, so they're going to make their own church. They self-segregate, and today they certainly self-segregate. It's not a white people kicking you out. I don't know of any churches today, except maybe the most backwater Louisiana church that has like three people in it that would actually prevent black people from being elders or anything of the sort. It's purely self-segregation. So if we're going to point to anybody as the problem for segregated churches, I would think it is those who have self-segregated. But needless to say, let's let him uh, talk more than one second. Can't change that. If that's the case, then the Holy Spirit has no more power. If that's the case. No more power? If you actually feel that way, then there's a chance that you might be yearning more for Babel than for Pentecost. Just to 
nope, there he's saying Babel was the division of the nations. Pentecost is the unity of the nations, right? The Gentiles being brought in to the body with the spirit. Um, so I would agree on this front that we should not look at the segregation of churches and say, um, like, hooray, the kinds are splitting or something like that, right? I think you should look at them and say, are they doing the job of a church? Because I don't have a problem with a black church being all black people if they aren't being racist and excluding white people or they don't have some insane theology, which sometimes they have insane theology. So I don't think highly of the black church only because the black church harbors a lot of weird Pentecostal stuff. Um, but just because a church is all black does not mean it has a problem. And equally for an all white or mostly white church, we are a mostly white nation. So it's not a problem that you have an all white church. I don't think there's a problem with the segregation. It's a problem of what is causing the segregation. So if it's something evil that's causing the segregation, right? Like there's a racism in there, either black or white, or if there's some theology thing that has split the church, that I think is evil, but it's not actually the segregation. So this isn't a denial of the Holy Spirit being able to bring people together um, because he does. And if you look at um, churches like go to Bethlehem Baptist Church, which is here in Minnesota, has many different races and they had a whole fight over CRT. Um, thankfully, it looks like the conservative side is winning, mm -hmm. but the, um, the Spirit does call people from every walk of life, wherever you are, so it is kind of concerning if you're in a place with other races that you don't have other races in your church, that you don't have black people or white people in your church. However, um, it's not the number one issue. There are bigger issues. And if you preach, the real issue should be preaching the word of God, right? So the root cause of the racial mix in your church, if, if you have a bad racial mix, should be looking at how you preach the word of God. It shouldn't be like, we need to go hire more hispanic teachers or something like that to get more hispanics in the church that that is not the approach rather it's theology it should be theology and, and practice first before it is um ratios and you know outreach to different communities i don't think that's really the approach we should be doing there's a chance in our own hearts i tell you right now even in my own heart there are parts that yearn for babel more than pentecost and that's where radical love and radical community comes in that's, this is what happens when we, when we talk about how radically we've been changed. You realize you can't seek change until you've been radically changed. You can't radically love until you've been radically loved. Which we agree. You have to be transformed by the gospel, by Jesus Christ, to love the way that Christ does. And honestly, mm -hmm. to play the, the devil's advocate, the liberal in the group, I think we, we preach a lot of conservatives. I hang out with a lot of conservatives. And the conservative line is, you know, death to CRT, which I agree, you know, death to Marxism and whatever else. But the, the good points that they have are that there is animus against people who are different than you often, right? And that's why in the world, people organize into groups of like-minded individuals, um, like, you know, card players and people who like vehicles and conservatives and Democrats, whatever, or, yeah, conservatives and Democrats, whatever else. However, the church are like-minded individuals, but not in the way the world normally organizes. And I think that's the key, is that they aren't, unlike-minded individuals. And I think that's where he's going to make his major mistake here um, throughout his sermon, is that the church is not a bunch of unlike-minded individuals. They just look like they would be the way the world normally works, right? A biker gang guy is not normally a like-minded individual with like a studious Asian woman. Um, and equally, uh, white people typically uh, on mass have a different culture than black people en masse in the United States. Now, there are black people with the same culture as white people, and there's white people with the same culture as black people in the U.S., so it's not a race thing. It's a culture thing. Typically, cultures don't mix. But the thing is about the church, we have become one in Christ, and therefore our culture should be working towards being the exact same thing. 
a Christian culture. So that's why the church can have unity together. That is surprising and it is shocking and it does, it is a witness to the world of the unity that's in Christ. So when you don't have that, I think it is a problem for the church. It's not about racism. It's not about racial ratios or anything. It's about unity in culture in the church. And there's power to that. You wouldn't believe how, just if you notice carefully in your church, you don't have this, people don't have the exact same interests as you do. Mm-hmm. We come from all different walks of life and we have different likes, dislikes, different passions, and we serve each other differently in the church. Like, for, like there's a group of grandmas in my church that are into knitting and also, you know, cute books. And then on my end, I'm into some obscure reading on biographies of ancient si- Persian yeah. theologians. Yes, or, you know, Roman or, or, or French, whatever. You get the point. So we have very different interests. We would otherwise not meet on on our walks of life, mm-hmm. but we're brought together by one thing, which is Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, of course. So in that way, I do promote um, Pentecost versus Babel, right? The Babel was the division of the nations, each going according to his kind. Now we're all being unified together in Christ. So we are different kinds, different walks of life, and we're being in different languages and whatever else we're being unified in Christ. Um, there are some like specific distinctions, like as a church body everywhere, a global church, of course, we're all walks of life, all cultures. Christ is calling all tribes and tongues to himself. Um, however, within particular local bodies, you don't need to have every single tribe represented because the tribes aren't all over the place. Now, most of our major cities have multiple different tribes, the Chinese and, and the English settlers and whatever else. Right? So there are different tribes amongst our cities typically, but they aren't, they aren't all inclusive. So our local church does not have to look like the global church, and often it shouldn't. And maybe we're just speaking too much without letting him talk here, but I definitely want to emphasize the fact that having a local church that is able to adapt to your local situation is a God-given gift. And so the fact that the American church or the different regions of America look different than other regions and that the American church as a whole looks different than the Chinese church is a God-given gift. It's not because we're white and the Chinese church is Asian. It's not because... um, of some racial inherent thing. Um, sometimes it's because of theology, and in that case, it shouldn't be, right? Like, we shouldn't be happy that the Chinese church has a worse theology than American church, or vice versa. We shouldn't be happy that American churches have worse theology than Chinese churches. However, we should be happy that the Chinese church sometimes can choose not to meet, right? And they'll say, we have a plan for not meeting because the government can crack down on us and kill all of us or enslave mm-hmm. all of us, put us in prison. And so we will set up a signal flare and not meet for a month. Whereas in the U.S., I think because of the way our culture works and because of the government in the United States, that would be a very cowardly thing to do. And that American churches should not submit to that kind of thing. Whereas it's not cowardly of the Chinese church, it's wise in the Chinese church. I think the consequences are not the same in the American church and therefore it is good that the American church would say, we will always stand and always meet regardless of what the government says in, in America. And where it's wise and good that the Chinese church can do something entirely different in China. That is not a difference in theology, a difference in application for local churches and therefore again i'm just saying it's good to have differences but notice that those local churches the american church and the chinese church locally should be and it is good that they are unified even if they're not unified with each other in that action mm-hmm. um, i'm speaking a lot let's let the guy talk you can't be a part of radical community until you have been grafted into radical community so what does radical community looks like my closing minutes here what what is what does radical community look like for churches I'm going to submit to you three ways that communities tend to form in churches. One of them I would say, I would submit to you, is radical. 
The first way is what we'll call the soup church. Now with the soup church, this is gonna make some of y'all hungry, so lunch is coming, ready. I'm not providing it, but lunch is coming. I'm not that kind of radically, you know, community guy. Don't worry about that. Uh, soup church, when you think about a soup, you have several individual elements that make up the soup, right? So you've got a lot of things that you put in the soup, but quite easily, you just put it in a blender, press frappe, and you can blend that thing together and you've got a perfectly pureed soup. Now, what does that mean? That means that regardless of the individual elements you put in, the consistency is always the same and the flavor is all the same. And it largely, it's just the same bite after bite. Nothing wrong with that, but that's the bite. It's the same taste over and over and over again. This represents what you might call the monocultural church. I want to point out here, and he's going to, he's, all three of his examples he's going to point out are food examples. The Bible does give us an analogy for the church. So as much as I don't usually like analogies, I'd like specifics. Um, from these woke people, they often talk in analogies. I guess people in general often talk in analogies. However, the Bible does give us an appropriate analogy, a biblical analogy for the church, and that is the human body. You know, Christ is the head, and there are eyes and ears, and the ears can't say to the eyes, and the nose can't say to the mouth, what are you good for? So in that sense, the body is compared to the church, and it is not good if it's all made up of noses, or all made up of hands, or all made up of eyes, because the body needs other parts. So he says... He says, there's nothing wrong with a soup that's homogenous. Well, <laughs> that is wrong if this is a proper analogy of the church. It is wrong that we would all be homogenous, right? We should be different in our roles because God equips the local church, even the local church, which is supposed to be as unified as it could possibly get compared to the global church, with different roles, people with different giftings, right? So in that sense... If this is a proper analogy, it would say that having homogeneity is bad. However, what the speaker here is, therefore it is misrepresenting, is that the church is not defined by its ethnicity. It is not. It is defined by its theology and its application of that theology. It's not defined by its ethnicity. So there are perfectly great monocultural churches. They aren't soup churches, and they're made up of all sorts of different people, right? So you could have a 100% white church in the middle of Alabama, and it could be a fantastic church that's got feet, it's got hands, it's got people from prison, it's got people from like the uppity side of society, it's got all sorts of different people from different backgrounds, but they're all of the same culture. They're all Alabaman, they all grew up watching the same shows, they all enjoy the same things, right? So they might be monocultural in that sense, but they are diverse and different parts of the body. Itself. Ah, very important distinction that you bring then because notice what he, the examples that he's going to emphasize are your heritage your skin your economic social background mm -hmm. that's what he's going to emphasize in this now what you're saying that michael is what god has given us through the apostles and paul talks about also gifts of the of the spirit in corinthians it's spiritual the difference between us mm -hmm. as bodies of the church is our duties in how we serve one another for the glory of Christ. Exactly. And so I would submit to you that the ethnic differences between us are moot. They are, they exist. So yeah, somebody who's been to prison is different than somebody who hasn't been to prison. And somebody who's grown up in the black culture, depending on how the black culture is defined, is probably different than somebody who grew up in regular American white culture, again, depending on how it's defined. Um, but they can be spiritually the exact same. So you okay, could have a prison okay. guy who came out of prison, right? You can have somebody who's like lived in the suburbs all his life, like me, and we could both be gifted with evangelism and both be mouths 
and you'd be the same part in the body, right? And if you had all mouth people, but you had some from the prison ministries and some that were black and some that were Asian and some that were white, it would still be an unbalanced church. It wouldn't be a mixed church with all the proper parts. It'd be a bunch of mouths. And you'd say, that's bad. That's wrong. And he would say, oh, well, that's not a soup. And the soup is the bad model. And the other models he's going to show are better, better models. Um, it doesn't matter how many ethnicities and backgrounds you have. It matters what different body parts you have. So often God calls people from different backgrounds. So it is kind of troubling if you have like only people from prison ministry in your church. Um, but it's not necessarily a problem. And, and that's why I think he says the soup isn't necessarily a problem because he's seen churches that work. They're all black churches or all white churches or although that's a weird thing. If you had an all all white church that like excluded blacks, he'd say there's a problem. Whereas if you have an all black church in a white community, you wouldn't call that a problem usually, which is, you know, just some of those double standards. Yeah. But um, I would say it's a problem if you have an all black church in an all white community. That's odd. You know, you wonder what the theological reasons are for them. Getting off the sidetrack, he is claiming that soup can be fine because you see it work just fine, but that's because he's not actually getting an accurate analogy for the church. The problem with a monocultural church, in his view, is that everybody's acting the same, which is really an attack on roles because um, everybody shouldn't be acting the same, even if it's in one culture. Sorry, I just want to poke the hole in his analogies here. Hey, this is who we are. We look the same. We talk the same, we vote the same, we dress the same, which means we've got the same pleated khakis and parted the hair on the right side or the left, I don't know. I don't have hair, I can't really demonstrate that either. <laughs> In those cultures, it's like, hey, listen, this is just, you know, we are affinity-based, we are people that look like us, this is our church, praise Jesus. But then, and, and so I get, for most of us, we kind of like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not sure. I, I'm thrilled with that. That doesn't seem like that's really, you know, what God's doing. So let's really get diverse. And so we. But why isn't it what God's doing? Usually you'd say that because there's a lot of people here that are Christians that aren't similar in that regard. Um, and therefore, it's weird that our church is a bunch of people who have the same haircut. Okay. But if you're in a place where everybody in the town has the exact same haircut, then it's not going to be weird that your church has a bunch of people that eat the same, talk the same, look the same. Right. In Peru, more than in, U in the U.S., it's not this much, but it kind of shocked me when I moved here, how differently people dress, especially when I went to public okay. school. Mm -hmm. In Peru, there's sort of an expectation that people, regardless of, re I mean, I just, if you're in the middle, you know, even if you're p poor and just a little bit well off, you're still expected to look a certain way the way you present yourself in public, the way you dress. Whereas here in the U.S., people, they don't care sometimes how they dress. So that really was shocking. So, But again, in Peru, there are very good brothers and sisters in Christ there who are Peruvian. They're going to all dress, dress pretty much the same, yeah. have the same style of hair and whatnot. Not North Korea style, but you get what I'm saying. But you're going to have different people in the church. Some are going to be more gifted to gift counseling and there's obviously going to be a pastor who's gifted in speech and ministry and then there's some people that are going to be more passionate in worship again they all look the same in dress and expressions and whatnot but they're diff but they are serving the church differently does that make sense yes okay and so his concern is hitting at a truth in america and that is america is a pretty diverse place so it's kind of odd when you don't have a diverse church because usually you're sampling from a diverse population but that can't be a rule of thumb because there are pockets of the u.s that aren't very diverse and so if you don't have a very diverse church in a non-diverse place or in a place where the diverse portion of the population is like god haters right they're a bunch of somalis um, in our case in minneapolis often we're like oh there's like 15 percent somalis in the city of minneapolis and why doesn't our church have a bunch of somalis how about because they're all first generation muslims and so they hate God by default. Now, we can 
I believe in the sovereignty of God, that God can call people however he wants. So it's definitely not a unreachable people group, but it's understandable why they aren't in the church because they just moved here. And they are Muslim. Yeah, which is a particularly staunch anti-Christian Ex- group yes. that takes a while to break in, usually. So in any case, um, his analogy is wrong in that the thing he's hating on is a thing that could be a concern in America, um, but isn't the root issue. The root issue is n- not having homogeneity in parts of the body. It's not about ethnic background. And this is the bait and switch that these speakers do in conservative churches because they know that you know about the body analogy. They know that conservative Christians believe and have seen and have experienced brothers and sisters with different opinions that are gifted in different ways because you're a faithful Christian and you've seen the body working as it should with hands doing hand things and feet doing feet things. Um, So they say, wouldn't you hate, you know, our church isn't like that, but wouldn't you hate, don't you know those backwater Louisiana Christians are out there, you know, kicking black people and hanging them from trees and not letting black people into their church? don't you hate them with me? And everybody goes, yeah, that sounds terrible. And then they then they do the bait and switch. And they say, when you don't, when our church doesn't have enough black people in it, or we're not listening to black people come up on stage and say black lives matter, then you're doing the same thing that some backwater non-existent Louisiana church that lynches black people or that only has hands um, in its church, only a certain body part in church. You're doing the same thing that they're doing, which is not true. Okay? It is not true when you fight against black liberation theology, when you fight against critical race theory, when you fight against bad, evil theology, evil politics in church, that you're doing the same thing as suppressing somebody who's a foot or a hand. That's a conversation in and of itself. We shouldn't be suppressing feet. If somebody or hands or whatever in different roles that we aren't familiar with, we should do our best to equip them and so that they can do what they're God-given supposed to do. But it is not... Um, somebody's gifting to be black that is not a role in the church having a different culture than the rest of the church is not a is not their role they're a mouth or a hand or a foot they might be a black mouth so like you could be in a scenario like here in minneapolis where you have a somali christian and he's a gifted evangelist so he's a mouth and then you say wouldn't it be great we're not using you right now you're sitting in the views you have a gift and we'd love to use you you are gifted by God by being a Somali. You speak Somali. You come from that background. We would love to enable you to go and speak and evangelize in the Somali community. He hasn't, he hasn't a different role now. He's not like a, a horn on your head that you've never had before or like an ear that you didn't have before. He's still a mouth like the rest of the evangelists that you have in the body, but now he's speaking to a different group. So you're using him. The important thing is that you use him and don't let him go unused. So that's a conversation to have in church. But that's not about ethnic diversity. That's not about... Um, monoculturalism that's more about utilization of your church body and having elders that know its people it's it's a different discussion so the bait and switch here is that monocultural does not mean what he's saying it means Mm -hmm. we're just like piling it on (laughs) we start looking like what i'll call the salad church now the salad church that's really where a lot of us may have been Right? I've been a part of the salad church. It's really easy because what happens with the salad church, you feel great because you've got individual elements that are still on display. They haven't been perfectly pureed so that you, lose, you don't miss anything. Uh, you, you still see you know, the lettuce and the carrots and the onions and tomatoes. It's all there. But if I don't want to be reminded or bothered by the flavor of the tomato, all I need to do is do what? Just douse ranch all over the thing. You see, I don't want to be reminded or, because sometimes there are things that you might bring up that cause some form of emotional dissonance or cognitive dissonance. I don't know how to respond to it. And so it's just frankly too hard to deal with. So let's just pour the ranch on. And, and, and Jeff encouraged me to bring this up. When you look at the color of the ranch, what color is it? This isn't me being angry brother. The white guy told me to tell you this, okay? 
I should point this out. Mm. Notice the bait and switch. We just talked about it. He's equating tomato, supposedly another race, because that's what he's saying. It's another race. It's another ethnicity, right? So if you're mostly lettuce, you're mostly white, you have some tomatoes, some croutons in there, um, and you are dousing the croutons, the tomatoes, and ranch and trying to ignore them when you're in the salad church, okay? The thing is, we just said, what this would be a problem is if these were all different parts of the body. Again, you shouldn't be using the salad analogy. You should be using the body analogy. If this was the body and this was a church with multiple different parts and you were saying, oh, feet, we don't need you, right? And you're dousing the feet in ranch. In this, in this scenario, if these different parts of the salad were different roles in the body and you were ignoring particular roles, well, that's the problem, right? You shouldn't ignore the, the tomato. It has its place, even if it's less common than the lettuce. Got it. However, he's meaning it to be, he's making it ethnicity. And then equivalently, he's saying the ranch is equivalent to white culture and white culture doesn't deal with racial stuff because um, that's just white American culture. And so you might eat the tomato and be like, oh yeah, you're black and that's different, but you're really just going to ignore the tomato afterwards. You're covering it in white culture. I mean, I'm not really sure what the exact analogy here is supposed to be, but... I was thinking, well, that's maybe what he means, but let's just, again, just recap. So, you know, using the, trying to use a similar analogy, but we're talking about two very different things. So instead of talking about what we should be talking about, which is spiritual makeup of the church, he's going with racial, ethnic makeup of the church. Yeah, and that is the bait and switch. Watch it, because they do it all the time. But it is interesting because in predominantly when you're in a majority culture community and people fr from other cultures come in, there's a pressure, hey, we need to put this, whatever the majority culture is, white culture, whatever it is, we're going to pour this on you. So, so, so basically kind of what we talked about before, you know not to bring up certain things because so much ranch has been doused on you, I don't want to taste that flavor. I don't like tomato, let me put a lot of ranch on it. So I might have to chew it and annoyingly chew through it, but I don't have to really taste it. Notice this is a theological issue he's bringing up. So if there's some black person, I mean, he's going to directly apply this here, but just to get past the analogies, if there's a black person that comes into a majority white church, which is what we're talking about, perimeters like that in Atlanta, my church is like that, most churches in the U.S. are like that because there's mostly white people here in the United States. Um, black person comes in and they have a distinctly black issue. So they have a normal issue, right? They don't have any of the normal issues that normal okay. people have. If they come in with something he would call distinctly black, the flavor of their tomato, and he starts talking about social justice, right? And the church says, we don't want to talk about social justice. We know what kind of poison that is. He's saying that they're actually like, we don't like you because you're a black person and only black people care about social justice. That's a, it's a, it's a racist equation. I think it's a racist um, equating of only black, of an ethnicity, particularly caring about a particular subject or a culture, particularly caring about a particular subject. If you're in a local church, that local church should care about things that are local to it. So if there's a local issue of social justice, right, the church should be addressing it. If, but if you're like from China and you come into the local church here in Minneapolis and you say, we got to be ready for when the government raids this church and um, puts us all in prison, you'd be like, we actually don't because the U.S. doesn't do that here. So you're not, you, yes, you are. In that case, you're pouring the ranch all over that guy, but his issue is irrelevant. So equally, if somebody comes to the middle of Alabama um, from the black church somewhere and says, we have to be ready for when the KKK come and lynches us all. And we have to be ready for those racists. And the Alabama church is like, we've never experienced that in our lives. Don't think that's really an issue here. Um, they might be ranching that guy, but it's because the local church is, that's not a relevant issue. And so it's not a um, ranching of that guy's gifting um, to be ignoring his panic about an issue that isn't relevant. And keep it in mind too, very careful. Some, he is assuming 
that the ranching, quote-unquote, is bad. Sometimes it is necessary. If I come in, I, some someone has come to my church saying, we're, no, we praise Jesus. We're all one in Jesus. When we die, we're going to come and become one with God. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses there, buddy. Let's pour some ranch all the ranch <laughs> bottle over this person uh -huh. because that yeah. is heresy yeah. so be very careful if there's some group of people some church whether hispanic whether chinese whether black white whatever in the u.s saying we don't want you because of your ethnic makeup that is sinful but that's not what he's re he's referring to and yes we should call out any church or any group says we don't want you because you look a certain way and we actually do want it here's my controversial statement of the day of what we have already said is not controversial mm -hmm. we actually do want unity in the local body let me say it again for the people in the back because my bethlehem baptist <laughs> went through this this exact the reason i'm passionate about this is because this exact kind of preaching um, was talked about by a pastor here at bethlehem baptist church and had controversy around mm -hmm. it and so it comes to to conservative well-meaning churches with large bodies not just the backwaters and not just weird liberal churches in the middle of the city uh we actually do want unified beliefs in the church. It is good to have unity. It is bad to have disunity. Now, I hear what some of you might be thinking, because I think it myself, but what about all the times where the majority that would be the one that would be unified, you'd be unifying under, has the wrong opinion, right? The majority believes in Arminianism instead of Reformed theology. The majority believes in um, universalism instead of regular atonement, right? Uh, the minority in that case is the good thing, and therefore we need to have diversity because otherwise we would have snuffed out the truth. Okay, I hear you. But in that scenario, we have a majority that's um, Unitarian, you know, some heresy, right? And the minority is the, the true believers. In that scenario, the disunity is actually a bad thing. It's just that the minority in this case is right. So what the whole church should do is conform to the minority in that point and then have unity and all believe in good atonement. And equally, if, um, if the majority of the church was not heretics and there was a minority that were heretics, right? the minority was the universalist, the majority is regular atonement people, there should be unity. It is bad that there's disunity and the heretics should be converted or kicked out. That's, that's why unity is good. There are some issues where you don't force them because you're not sure who's in the right. For example, on um, end times theories and eschatology, there's disunity in most churches on eschatology, on the belief about how exactly the end times come about. There's some that believe in amillennialism, there's some that believe in premillennialism, there's some believe in post. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, it's actually bad. Again, this is my controversial statement. It's actually bad that that's the case. It's bad that there's disunity in the church over how the end times come. However, elders, typically, I don't think that I know which one is exactly right. I have my own opinion, so I have beliefs that premillennialism is right. That's my belief. However, I'm willing to tolerate brothers and sisters who have different opinions because I might be in the wrong, and therefore I wouldn't want to be in a scenario where I'm pushing the wrong view on others. However, there are many subjects where I believe I'm in the right and I believe that it's biblically defendable that I'm in the right. For example, on homosexuality, there's a minority of the church that believes that homosexuality is not a sin. I can point to the Bible all day and show you all the passages that I say that it's wrong and I would not tolerate that disunity in the church. It is also bad, just like the previous disunity is bad, and we should do something about it. So the ranching, where you, where you bring somebody new into the church and they have different theology than you and you ranch them and you say, this is how this church does things here, the defense of it. We're going to push this theology on you. If you don't like it, um, you can leave, right? That's actually usually a good thing. Sometimes it comes with bad theology, so you want to be careful of that. But that ranching um, is uh, typically a good thing, one. And two, should never also be 
smushing somebody's God-given role in Christ. So it might be smushing their cultural background, but it shouldn't be smushing their role. It shouldn't be making them um, not able to do their foot duties or their hand duties or their mouth duties. Um, that's, that's where I'd say he gets at some of the truth and that some churches do suppress, like people with spiritual gifts who have gifts of tongues or something like that. If they legitimately have a tongue gift, often I don't think people do, but if they legitimately have a gift of tongues and the church says we don't allow that to ever be said, um, I think that they are suppressing a member of the body um, that should be on display. But that's not the same. That's not usually anything to do with ethnicity. So keep that in mind. And as we strive for unity, rather than saying we're just stating our opinions here, no, we are hold our opinions to the word of God. So what should be the ranch sauce should be the, the word, of word of God. Yeah, exactly. We all come from different ethnic backgrounds. We're all unified in Christ. The ranch is the unity in Christ. If we're going to use the salad analogy, which again, I think the body is so much better. We're all unified in the head, the body of which is Jesus. That's honestly where a lot of our churches are. I, if you have struggles and troubles and, and, and certain things that have been a part of your story, I like seeing you. You do realize there's a difference between being multicolored and multicultured. See, we, just we should not be, this is my other controversial, we should not be a multicultural church. We should be all in one culture, and that is Jesus Christ. And if we're going to have some weird, unique flavor of the church, it should be the, the Chinese-American example that I gave before, right? The, the American church doesn't have to worry about the same kind of persecution that the Chinese church does, and therefore we, we stand firmly against the government, whereas the Chinese church shouldn't because they would be destroyed, right? That's a local flavoring where we have different cultures, but we should be striving for one unified Christian culture that's not Chinese or American, right? It has its flavorings because of the, the times we live in and the areas that we live in, but ultimately we should all be striving for one flavor. We should not have a multicultural church. Disunity is a bad thing. I come from suburban, and I don't need the church to be suburban. I might want it inherently because that's what I come from is what I'm used to but the church should actually be conforming me to a church culture and so equally if some guy from the ghetto comes in he shouldn't be like where's all the loud music and where's all the gun toting around like where where's all this I'm used to that it's the culture I'm in <laughs> you shouldn't be like oh yeah yeah you can be over there in the corner you can have your boom box and your guns <laughs> shooting and then over there we're all gonna be wearing like ascots and talking about golf that's multiculturalism and that's evil that's wrong that's disunity in the church we should all be unified together and say should we all be wearing ascots? Probably not. It's a weird fashion choice. Should we all be shooting up in the sky with our ghetto blasters? No, <laughs> we shouldn't, right? Maybe take the good parts. Like, oh yeah, I like your music. Let's make some worship songs that are rap music. Okay. And then equally, maybe golf is a good activity to evangelize. I don't know. I'm making some weird things now, but um, we should all be unified in one culture. So if somebody comes in and we need to add them to the melting pot and add their, their opinions into the collective um, culture of the church, then okay, I'm willing to entertain that. The culture is not necessarily stagnant and never moving. However, we should be striving for unity of culture within the church, not disunity, which is another way of saying multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is disunity. We shouldn't endorse it. So, in other words, then, to put together, we are different churches, different countries. Different, we, there's a Minnesota flavor of the church mm -hmm. because we are Christ-minded, always focused on Christ. Now, because we're in the state of Minnesota, we have a particular emphasis that is different than the church in Peru or yeah. any church, even within Peru, the, in the Andes versus sure. the needs of the coast, because there's different needs in those areas. But we're Christ-minded, we're just going to have different emphases, I think, is would be a good word to describe Yeah, and it. that's fine. And that type, of, that type of disunity, that kind of multiculturalism is fine. And that exists in the church global, but not in the local church. The local church, you don't need that. Got it. You shouldn't have that. So let them go on. Just got lots of colors, that's great. 
But do people feel the comfort level to be able to say, hey, let me share with you some unique things about my story, some unique, unique things about my own racial experiences, ethnic experience, class experience, cultural experiences that really make, have kind of imprinted on, on me and made me a, 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 the person that I am. Do I feel the, the level, do I feel the safety to share that? Not if I'm dripping with ranch. But what you mean the word of God? I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean, seriously. So if you have a legitimate issue, right? So if you have a legitimate God justice issue, whether whatever you would call that, so if it's a social justice issue that's a worthy cause um, and your church doesn't want to talk about it, I understand your frustration. It's not because your ethnicity is what it is, that your church is ignoring you. It shouldn't be at least. And if that's the case, then I'm with this guy. That's wrong. But I, from my experience and from what I see churches do, it's not usually because of somebody's ethnicity that they're ignoring them. In fact, it's probably the opposite. They're probably giving you more credence because of your ethnicity, just the way culture works these days. It's probably because they don't like your conclusions, your theology, which really doesn't have to do with your race at all. So if your conclusions, which we, I, the facts would display that BLM, Black Lives Matter, is an organization mostly supported by white women. <laughs> you know? So it has nothing to do with ethnicity. I would disagree to the cows come home with a white woman who says they believe in Black Lives Matter and that we should care about that kind of ideology in church. It, we should not. That is an evil ideology. It's a racist ideology, and it's one not based on facts. We shouldn't. We should dispute BLM theology. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with cultural background. It has to do with bad theology, state worship, whatever. So if you have bad theology and you're uh, upset that the church is ignoring you, um, sounds like you have a you problem. And if you have good theology and the church is ignoring you, that's not a matter of tomatoes versus lettuce. That's a matter of um, bad ranch. So you just need a better ranch. You need an updated ranch in, um, ingredient list that includes whatever good theology you're trying to share with the church. So it's not bad that there's ranch. It's bad that there's bad ranch. Sour. As far as there, my mic was coming off. We'll continue. What the, what the Church of Pentecost looks like is very different. The Church of Pentecost looks like a stew. Now the stew... Similar to the, to the salad. Mike's coming off again. All right. Sorry, Mike broke again. The stew has individual elements on display. The stew has several different things that are present, right? You've got steak, potatoes, carrots, uh, uh, peas. Maybe you've got onions. Maybe you've got green peppers. But the difference between the stew and the salad is that there's no way to hide from the other flavors in the stew. Why is that? Because uh, one guy told me after the last service, he said, you know, what's interesting about making a stew, he says there's two ways you can make a stew. You can put it in a slow cooker, and it takes a long time for that to, to, to come about. And by the way, in good Christian language, that's kind of what we'll say. We'll say, hey, this takes time. It's a convenient way to avoid having to talk about the issues. It really is. I do want to agree with this point. There are many conciliatory conservative Christians who be like, yeah, so I agree with you that we really do need more ethnic diversity. It'll just take a long time. No, don't be either warm or hot. Don't be the, the cold in the middle. So I agree with him. Detest the, the slow cooker men mentality um, of agreeing that the stew is a good model, which it is not. We've already agreed that we should be of one mind. We should be more like the soup as far as our mission goes, more like the ranch. However, we're all going to have different body parts. That's why this, the whole food analogy is just a bad one. We should go to back to the body. Um, but in the stew analogy, we're all part of one stew, right? And so the broth that covers us all is it's ranching us all. You know, that broth that's everywhere, it's just ranching all over us, um, making us all homogenous in, in goal. And that is our local church's goal to serve Christ. Um, we each have our own body part roles. It should not be um, ethnicities. Our ethnicities don't determine our roles in the body.
they might change the way we are. So it might be a different kind of knee because we're, we have a prison background, we're Latin American, whatever. Um, however, we're still a knee. Therefore, we can relate with other knees and we help the body in a way a knee does. It doesn't change our role. Um, so in that case, in that sense, again, he's done the bait and switch where he's changed roles in the church, which is a proper way of looking at not wanting to be homogenous, and race in the church, which really shouldn't matter. Um, so in any case, he's going to say he doesn't like the slow cooker version, which I agree. It takes a long time. Jesus is coming back. Let's just wait for that. And so he'll say, you know, there's the slow cooker approach, which I think many of us may have subscribed to at one point. He said, but honestly, if you want to be able to have a great stew now, you put it in a pressure cooker. Hooray! Yes, you know what you should do? You should go into your churches and cause racial division so that everything can be better in the end. Right? Because that's the way it normally works. You should go in there and pressure cook racial division. Oh yeah, no, that's actually racist, you freak, okay? If you go and do that, you're the racist. Guess what? That's, that's what you are. When you come in and you say, you should be paying attention more, more to me, the Mexican. Or if I go into the black church and said, you should be paying more attention to me, the white boy. That would be some weird race emphasis. Like, clearly you have a problem. Clearly I, the one, the one demanding things based on my race, have a problem with race. And so the pressure cooker approach is extremely dangerous. Uh, as we were saying previously, I think you have to be very careful with what you um, make issues that you will not tolerate. And if you put something in the pressure cooker, it's saying that we will not tolerate the disunity on this, right? Which I agreed that there are things, many things, that you don't want to tolerate disunity because disunity is bad. Whatever way it is, it's bad. Like baptism? Yeah, disunity on baptism is a bad thing. Now, you might decide, we don't know, we're not so confident in our view of baptism, and therefore we'll allow the disunity. It's bad that we have disunity because one of us is right and one of us is wrong, or maybe both of us are wrong, but we'll allow it because we would, it would be worse to kick out people. Um, for a different belief. So he's saying the pressure cooker approach is better. It's actually better to um, force the issue, which I would agree on some issues. This is not one of them. In fact, I would say this one is discernible. We actually do have a discernible view in the Bible that it is bad to stoke racial division with all the Ephesians and Galatians stuff that say that we're no longer Jews and Greeks, right? But we're all one in Christ, that there's barbarians and Scythians, uh, but they're all together in Christ. We should not stoke racial animus. It is something from the enemy, something from the devil. And these kind of preachers, whether they've been captured or they're wolves themselves, they've been captured by the enemy and we should throw them out, okay? This soft-minded, funny, joking about ranch dressing, soft, talking to a conservative body church um, who believes in Christ and believes that he died for him and believes in penal substitutionary atonement and isn't sold out to the Democrats. This guy is captured by the enemy at the very least. This is something that we should not tolerate. It is an evil ideology and this should be put under the pressure cooker. So maybe I'm in agreement that this should be an issue that's forced. And I think... Um, Churches in America right now are having to decide whether or not they do the slow cooker method where they just allow to, this to agree to disagree or they put it in the pressure cooker. The problem for this man and the problem for other churches is that the pressure cooker might actually cook them out, not the, um, the other way around. So uh, watch what you want to pressure cook. Of course, it's a disaster. It's a disaster perimeter church or um, the village church in Texas with Matt Chandler or if any church, Bethlehem Baptist Church, decided to force the issue in the pressure cooker and then came out wrong on the other end, right? They decided to be racist. They decided to embrace BLM theology. They decided to embrace this insane racial ideology stuff um, because they forced the issue. That would be bad. Um, it would be good if they come up the other side and say, we're not going to let race divide us. Um, in fact, we're going to root out those who want race to divide us. And so, yes, did, did they miss the memo on those 2000 years ago when the ancient world was more divided by language, culture, and ethnicity than today and then the apostles and God is commanding them, do not, I repeat, do not 
divide over your ethnicity, your culture, language, whatever. And if we just want to force the issue here, if we were going to pressure cook it, um, we got verses from Leviticus 19 that say, don't favor the rich and don't favor the poor, right? So equally, we shouldn't favor the black. We should not, even though they are the poor and they're the oppressed and whatever else you might say. And some, in most cases, they're right. They have been disadvantaged. We should not favor them. And equally, we shouldn't favor the rich. And then um, there's portions of Ephesians or of uh, Philippians and uh, many other portions of the Bible that talk about despising all the accolades of your background. And somebody could come in and say, I'm a former, I'm an ex-con. I was raised by, you know, I had no father. I was abused as a black boy. Um, I was always afraid of the police. And I have all this gravitas by my background. You should respect me. What does Paul say in Philippians? In Philippians 3, yes. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for seal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them shit that I make in Christ oh man, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That is the one time in the Bible that I know of that there's an actual the swear Greek word. The word is skubalon, which is equated to the S for it in English. We'll have to censor this episode, man. <laughs> <laughs> what? For all the children that are watching it. In any case, yes. Strong language about his accolades. Paul says that they're skubalon. They're dirt. They're garbage. They're shit. Dung. Um, yes. They're dung. Uh, and Paul, this is on an ethnic issue, right? It's ethnic Jews saying you need to do the things that ethnic Jews do in order to be saved. And Paul says, you want to talk about background and righteousness in the law and about ethnicity. I am like the most Jewish you can get. Right? I'm better than you, law, buddy. I'm circumcised the eighth day, all this rest, right? Um, it's an ethnic issue. And he says, I don't consider all my ethnic background um, to be worth anything, right? And I would also contend this. We will not, I, I do not believe could be wrong this is one of the things i wouldn't pressure cook but i do not believe that we will be keeping or that we should be focused on keeping our ethnicities in heaven yes we were born into ethnicities i'm not denying ethnicity i have an ancestry just like you have an ancestry sebastian so we have different ethnicities but we're one in christ now we're in the same culture of the body of the church and so when we're in heaven i do not believe it will be important what tribe or tongue we came from i think we'll all learn a heavenly language as opposed to english or spanish or wherever else we come from and i don't think that our testimonies on earth will be our defining factor in heaven. Now, yes, the things we do on earth translate into gifts and rewards in heaven, and I'm sure we will remember our, our time on earth and all that, so I'm not saying that's erased. But I do not believe that there will be a section for Chinese Christians and a section for American Christians, and then there'll be a section for 1800s American Christians, which is a different culture than 1900s Christians um, from America, from Minneapolis, from the south side of Minneapolis. Like, you could get hyper-specific and say that there's these tiny little cultural sections that will stay forever in heaven. I don't believe it. And those who say, I will be Chinese in heaven as part of my ethnicity, and it's very important to me. It's, it's like, you could, I, I guess you could be right, right? I mean, you are currently Chinese. So, yes, you, that fact will always remain that you were born a Chinese Christian. But it's really weird 
that you are so emphatic that you're going to be keeping your ethnicity. That's super important to God that you stay Chinese in heaven. Because if a white person is doing the same thing, they're like, I'm Alabaman, and I will be Alabaman in heaven to the day I die and afterwards. And I'm so proud of the fact that I'm white and Alabaman. You'd be like, whoa, buddy, you know, like you seem like you're about to join the KKK. Okay. So I don't think we should tolerate it from other people. Um, not that he, he's not saying that, but this is the kind of rhetoric that also comes with the um, we want diverse churches um, and we are going to keep our ethnicities in heaven. And it's good that you have multi-ethnic, multicultural churches, which I disagree with. Perfectly fine. It doesn't matter what ethnicities you have in heaven or in on your local church. And it's kind of a warning sign if you only have one ethnicity in your church um, and you're in a multi-ethnic. And you're in a multi-ethnic area because it means you might not be reaching a people group you should. But that doesn't mean that you're in some um, heretical danger. Could be, but that's a separate issue than the multi-ethnicity. A, a, a multicultural church is a church that's going to destroy itself. Can a house divided stand? It will not. So says Jesus. If you have a divided, divided culture, it is evil, it is bad. It's simple teaching. It's pretty simple. I don't think it's a complicated college-level course. And when you put it in the pressure cooker, what happens? The carrot begins to bleed on the peas. The peas begin to bleed on the potato. The potato begins to bleed on the steak. It's actually not right. I just want to point this out. Uh, if the differences between the carrot and the potato aren't their roles in the church, it's not like hands and feet and whatever else, and it's actually just ethnicity, ethnicity and its opinions on critical race theory or whatever else you might be saying, um, when you put something in the pressure cooker, the t potato turns into a uh, potato turns into a carrot, right? If the carrot's the predominant thing that's going to win out the day, everything turns into a carrot. They're suddenly all united in critical race theory, um, which I I agree with. If it was good theology, right? If you're putting a pressure cooker on reform theology, you're putting a, a pressure cooker on critical race theory so that everybody was against it. I would agree. Everybody should be united against critical race theory or whatever the thing of the day is. The pressure cooker doing its job would turn everything into one big mush. That would be the ideal. Um, so no, the, the tomato doesn't begin to bleed on the carrot. Sometimes the tomato is like, I'm out of here. It's getting too much pressure and just pops out of the pot, right? So uh, this, this whole metaphor breaks down when you actually apply it. That's not what happens when you put Perimeter Church or Bethlehem Baptist Church or Woodbury Baptist Church or wherever into a pressure cooker. Either all the things become the same or the ones that aren't the same skedaddle. That's, that's what happens. Rather what he's doing here, rather than putting it in a pressure cooker, if there are individual cases of racist preachers in some obscure places in the South or even in the North or whatever, rather than putting this on a pressure cooker, what you're doing is grabbing gasoline and then spraying it around, and you're lighting the match on the gasoline on a problem that wasn't there in your local church here. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, you're, you're fueling the fire on something that wasn't An there. Issue. You're actually, no, you're actually starting the fire and fueling the fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in addition, I don't even like, okay, so the stew example. Now you've got the, the wonderful picture he's painting is you had before an amalgamation of different ingredients. You had carrots that were just carrots, and meat that was just meat, and potatoes that were just potatoes. And once you put them in a stew and you put them in the pressure cooker, suddenly you've got a potato that kind of tastes like carrot and kind of tastes like meat, which is cool for stew. And so you like stew, you like all the flavors mixing. Um, however, again, apply that to your life. He, you've got a homogenous church of just beans and then uh, some you know, white people, like regular white people. And then in comes a group of black people. Or maybe there already was black people, but now they're now you're putting them in the pressure cooker. So the carrots and the beans are now going to start flavor exchanging. If the problem, the differences between the black 
people in the church and the white people in the church were that um, one believes in critical race theory and that there is endemic racism in the United States and one does not believe that and does not believe there's endemic racism in the United States and doesn't believe in critical race theory. What's the mixing that's going on? What's the flavoring? Is that because the beans don't turn into carrots, right? Let's all remember that. So it's not like he's saying that the beans suddenly believe in critical race theory and believe that racism is endemic. They're just like, sort of like, oh yeah, I could see that particular view of racism, you know, that that particular thing was racist, and then vice versa. Maybe the black people are like, oh yeah, maybe that particular institution isn't racist. But there's still rampant disunity in the church. The carrots are still like, racism is a huge problem and we should deal with it. And the beans are still like, it's not a big problem. So what have you solved? Nothing. You solved nothing. There's still this gigantic division in the church. So it is evil and it's a bad analogy because that's not, not how pressure cooker would work in the church. You should all be conforming to one view in this case. And so what that means is that there are parts of my story, parts of your story, that need to be indelibly etched on each other. In they don't. In order to look <laughs> more like Jesus. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. How many times do I have to say it? They don't. You can love a brother who has a totally different story. It means Sebastian had different stories, right? We have similar upbringings, kind of, but, but also totally different, right? So our testimonies are totally different. He's not indelibly etched into my soul, nor am I he. We're brothers in Christ. Okay, we, our testimonies are intertwined because we know each other and we talk to each other and we're part of each other's testimony and how we came to Christ and how we've grown in Christ and a disciple in Christ and all that. Okay? So in that way, we're indelibly etched in each other because we live in community with each other. But his ethnic background has nothing to do with me. I'm not indelibly in, entrenched in the fact that he was raised in Peru and he's not indelibly etched in his soul in the fact that I was raised in the South and moved all over. Like... Our ethnic backgrounds aren't what have affected us. Our stories together have. Our unity in Christ has etched each other in our hearts, but it's not our weird ethnic backgrounds. So his analogy, remember the bait and switch. In some ways, it's right. In some ways, we do etch in each other's souls and testimonies. In some ways, we are unified in Christ, and he does bleed into me, and I bleed into him, and we become all the more unified in Christ. Um, but it's not because of our ethnicities. It's not because of our cultures. It's because we're all being conformed into one culture, Jesus Christ. And we, the stuff we etch on each other is really the stuff that Jesus has put in me that's blood into Sebastian, the stuff that Jesus has put in Sebastian that's blood into me. So we're all becoming into one culture, slowly but surely. In other words, it's spiritual minded towards Christ. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's not ethnicity. That is the bait and switch he's doing. He's saying ethnicity and ethnic issues are things that are bleeding into each other. That is not proper bleeding. And in order to love more like Jesus, and in order to be in radical community that Jesus has called us into, I need some of your onion on my steak. Like Jesus? Did Jesus Not, go to the Samaritan yeah. woman and say, teach me some Samaritan things that I might learn? No. And Jesus was bringing in the Gentiles into the church and he had mercy on the Samaritan woman and all the other cultures, right? But he called the Samaritan woman who was having a um, Canaanite woman that had a demon-possessed daughter, a dog, right? Now, I don't think he was doing insults. I think he was just speaking the truth, right? The Jews were the chosen people. Now, Jesus knew, of course, being God, he was going to graft in that woman, let alone the rest of her people. Um, but he was Jewish. He came as a Jewish man. Now, God doesn't have an ethnicity, but he took on an ethnicity and stayed in it. He didn't let Canaaniteism bleed into him. He didn't suddenly, like, decide that circumcision wasn't an issue for the Jews of the day. Of course, he re rewrote and how we're grafted into Christ is different than the Jews were back in the day. But he didn't let Samaritans graft into him. He didn't do any of that. It's not being like Jesus to let other cultures influence you. That's just a lie. In fact, as the as the as once Christ leaves the earth, the Jewish culture is not imposed on others either. So mm -hmm. you can have your Galatian culture, which were Celtic people, similar to Irish. You could have 
Pontic Greeks. I'm, I'm thinking of Asia, just Asia Minor. There were Romans there, and other remnants of like Lydians, Persians, whatever else. Persians, Arme Armenians. Don't, let's not forget Jews. Let's not forget the Jews too, or the Armenians. Mm -hmm. My point is, they were all expected in the letters of in the letters of Peter, the letters of Paul. You are to be one body. You're to be in one mind. Now, what I find fascinating, I think, is this is just a, on a side on a side note. If there are actual different differences in language, language that you speak, if someone speak, if there's a significant group of people in your church that only speak French, for example, and English is not, they don't dominate the language that well. It would be wise to have someone who speaks French in order to communicate and have unity for a practical purpose. Ideally, we should all speak English in the U.S. It's just convenient. It's not because it's the mandated. best language. Yeah, whatever. Definitely not. I have. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, that's no. That's absolute garbage. The English language. No offense, but it is garbage. It's scubalon to stay on topic. Okay. Spanish far superior as a language, but most people don't speak Spanish here yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, out of practicality, out of simply the purpose of communicating with others, the word of God. We should speak languages either that most people speak or have someone in leadership that is able to, you know, communicate with this significant group of people. I just think just out of convenience. So I could see an argument for that. But culture, no, you don't see that. No. Jesus, Paul, yeah. God himself also speaks against, yeah, be one, be in one, one mind spiritually. Don't. Forget about your past. And, and culture. in particular in the local church. Like the global church, again, like we described, might have slightly different cultures, but again, they're all conforming to the image of the Son Jesus Christ wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, within the local church, they should be entirely unified, uh, except on issues where you haven't decided what's good and bad. Um, I will say my two cents on like the equipping somebody with a different background. So if you need a French speaker, for example, I'm kind of anti in general hiring out pastors. I think you should really pick from your local body if you can. Oh, yes, um, yes. So if you have a bunch of French speakers, I would think you should find somebody qualified in evangelism or giving or whatever you need the role for that also speaks French from your local body. Um, the reason I say that is because often churches, my church has been in this. They didn't do it. Again, we had a fight and I think the conservative side has won. Um, and churches like Perimeter, I would assume have the same issue. They're like, oh, we have all white elders. We have all white, white pastors. We have all white staff. There's like one black guy. But Atlanta, where they live, not, uh, Minneapolis, where I'm from, um, isn't all white. You know, there's some ratio. So we should really have an elder council that fits that ratio. Therefore, we're going to hire out looking for particular ethnicities. They, and I think yeah. that's just wrong. You might look at your congregation and say, okay, our congregation is actually 15% Somali or whatever. And then, and we have no Somali elders. Is there anybody qualified in the Somali group that should be an elder? But that's just more of a have we been ignoring a particular group in our, our church that isn't that is qualified to be elders and should be made elders less of a um, we need somalis in our elder of council because um, i'm all supportive of making elders from your from your congregation so if you're missing out an opportunity to make elders from your congregation all the more power to you but if nobody's qualified from the somalis in your church then okay if my church has decided and some others have decided to rework their qualification structure to allow for um lower standards that they can pick a Somali or different standards they can pick a Somali they can pick somebody from a different ethnic background that we can have they can have a more ethnically diverse council that more reflects the ethnicity of the church but frankly I don't know that it's a problem like in Bethlehem Baptist Church where the vast majority of elders are white from Minnesota or from you know regular old like high fluent suburbia high income suburbia um, 
if nobody else qualifies, right? If the Somali community is all first-generation Somalis and they're baby Christians, right? They've been Christians, the first-generation Christians, they don't really know much about the faith, they're still learning, whatever age, um, they probably just aren't qualified. So it's not a, it's not a surprise that um, the biggest ethnicity in my church is Russian, from Russia, that they're not usually qualified as elders because they're all first-generation immigrants that just came to Christ recently. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that there's not any elders from that group, even though it's a larger ethnicity uh, minority in our church. Okay, we keep laughing at this guy. We're going to let him run out. I need to walk around. It's okay to smell like a little onion sometimes. And what does that mean? That means that if I'm in a, a, in a community of people that may, they may not have the luxury of being in a, in a real radical community. They may not have been in the stew church, so they may have a viewpoint about people groups that might be completely different. But now I have had my brother or sister in Christ bleed onto me so that I can now communicate a little bit of their own story back to someone. Let me make this real. Why would you ever be bleeding somebody else's story? Don't we have a, the same message? Don't we share the same gospel? When we're, we're telling and we're evangelizing and we're trying to encourage somebody else, yes, sometimes they use other people's stories, but um, that's not the gospel. The gospel is just straight Jesus Christ. doesn't matter who we've known before. So I just, I, I find his, his end goal, the, the stew, to be unappealing and wrong and deceitful. Yeah, when... When Thomas, we talked about, shout out to our guide to Eastern Christianity, when Thomas sailed to Sukutra, which Arab people in the island Sukutra, mm -hmm. what is he going to preach? Nothing other than repent and believe because Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, came, died on the cross and atoned for your sins so you can have peace with God. Likewise, he continues then on his journey. If he stops in Persia, what's he going to say to the Persian people who are very different? Same thing. When he goes to India with all the Indian groups and whatnot and dies there, what's he going to say there? The same thing, the now, same message. Now, we're not denying that local testimony is powerful. So like when the demon-possessed man that J Jesus um, converts in the gatherings, when Jesus sends him back to his people and says, go spread, you know, go tell them what, you, what I did to you and amongst your people, we're not denying that that's a more powerful witness than some other ways, right? Um, however, the message that that man was preaching um, was come to Christ, right? So it's not like he needed, he did not need some Jewish patchwork on him. You know, he didn't need to smell like a little onion to go talk to the Gadarene people because he was a Gadarene person from the Gadarenes, from that side of the Galilee, Sea of Galilee. So he didn't need a little onion on him. He just needed the gospel. That's all. We've got lots of different people in this church, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different cultures in this church. When you're in a majority culture church and, ish, and certain things happen in our culture, in our society that arrests the collective consciousness of, of certain people groups, do they feel the comfort level to then share that in church? Not even going to pause it. That's just BLM. If you've got people of color that are you know where this guy's impacted, coming from. whether you agree with it or not, by the Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it goes. How do we engage that? By refuting it. The, the scriptures say that we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who Got rejoice. It. But if people are mourning with respect to those issues, are we able to mourn with them? You do not mourn with somebody who's incorrectly Are we able to, to, to understand where they are and their struggle and, and what's really hurting them? No, because for many people, they feel like, you know what, there's no place at the altar for that kind of mourning. There's not, because it's incorrect mourning. You don't mourn with somebody who's mourning over something that's not If we're loving bad. from the root out, then we're saying, I'm loving all of you. I need all of you. I need that onion. I need that potato. This is what it means to be in radical community. I'll close with this. A friend of mine was uh, on staff with World Vision for.
he seems to be equating radical community with disunity. That a disunified multicultural is radical because normally people that are completely disunified in uh, belief and function can't stay together, but the Christian church can. That's incorrect. The Christian church is unified in a unified belief. So if you have multicultures in the Christian church, it's bound to fail. So it's radical in that people who would normally be divided share a unified belief in Christ. But not radical in that Christ is is somehow holding together this jumble of people who hate each other. That's not the Christian church. Mm -hmm. Notice, but because he just introduced it too, so I'm also just going to quickly touch on it. He said, we're going to, people are going to be disunified in belief if you bring something like BLM movement into church because we would just to quickly touch on it as he introduced it. That is very political and they are making claims who that are, would say biblically, would say unjustified. Well, say BLM is right. So let's let's give him the entire purpose. Okay. Obviously, we entirely disagree with BLM, and it is not biblical. But say it is the biblical thing. Say it is the righteous thing. Is it just going to make a little bit? We're going to get a little bit of righteousness in here? Be like, hey, recognize us. We believe in uh, atonement via Jesus Christ. You all are heretics and don't believe in us. Say BLM is like a gospel issue, right? The rest of the church, are we doing like a little bit? Like everybody gets a little bit of onion. They get a little bit of the proper BLM view and not the full thing. No. The reason BLM is such an offensive movement is that it demands absolute acceptance, as most movements do, right? Like, absolutely accept what I'm saying. My claim is my claim, either rejected or accepted. Not a little bit, not be lukewarm, either accepted or rejected. And so somebody that comes with a BLM concern, it doesn't just stay in the little black community of the church, the five black people that are in your church. It is either entirely accepted by the church or it's entirely rejected by the church. So if it's proper and good, it should be entirely accepted by the church and it should be fought for. And if it's not, it should be entirely rejected. So that's not the share. It's not a little bit of onion. It's not a little bit of carrot. It's everybody conforming to one unified church. A really long time, uh, very prominent position and doing great work all around the world. And they went and visited uh, a slave, a former slave castle in Africa. And in this, in this castle, it was interesting, they, they, they talked about what they observed. They saw uh, the, the chamber that was at the base of the castle where uh, they would obviously uh, collect and, and kidnap uh, several PL prisoners of war between some of the tribal, uh, the, some of the tribal villages, and they would capture them, and they would, uh, the Portuguese, the Spaniards, the Brits, they would all kind of uh, send, send them off. And so by and large, they got sent to the Caribbean islands and Brazil and to North America. And so that chamber was there, and they would hold them in chains in that chamber waiting for the next ship to come. But above the chamber was a chapel. And in the chapel, he actually told me there's still a record where people were keeping notes and minutes of what was happening in the church services. And uh, one of the logs showed that people were worshiping, much like we're worshiping today, worshiping and singing out Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and praising God with effusive praise, praising God with, with incredible insouciance. And then, and then beneath them, they hear the cries of these Africans crying out for help, crying out to be released. And here's what the log said. As their cries got louder, our songs got louder. Notice the use of emotion. Yep. That is very emotional, isn't it? Mm -hmm. especially, to, especially to an audience who has been moved is attentively listening. That's a use of emotion. He is equating two very different things. The situation in the U.S. in which it is illegal to own another person and that which whatever Portuguese colony must or British colony was in Africa in which there were actually enslaved people who were kidnapped from their homes and are kidnapped right now beneath your feet. 
Well, notice this. It's not even just that, because the thing that's angering about that Portuguese Spanish castle, slave castle scenario is that those people in the chapel are the slavers, right? So they're the ones that are participating in the mm -hmm. evil that's beneath them. And so that's why it's such hypocrisy that they would be praising God. Meanwhile, their sin is right below them, reminding them of their sin. Their personal sin is beneath them, and they're choosing to ignore it, to praise God louder. In the case of CRT or whatever, a black person that comes into the church and says, you're wronging me. You didn't know it. You all didn't know it. But just by virtue of being white, you've stopped me from being as wealthy as I could have been. Who's the sinner in that regard? Is it the white person? Is the white people go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. that. I'm sorry for being white. I'm sorry for being white. Here's $500. Like, what are they supposed to do to recompense? Are they supposed to give money? Would that, would that nullify it? I don't Most CRT advocates would say no. You are supposed to give money. You are supposed to do things. You're supposed to empower that person. But there's never really a way that you would come equal because the wrongs are just so great that you'd never be able to have full recompense with your brothers that have been wronged. Um, and that scenario, uh, first of all, it's not a Christian view of sin. It's not a Christian view of wrong. The white person really hasn't done anything to the black person by, by being white, right? If there's a particular sin that he has against the brother, then yeah, they should be reconciled. Jesus says, if, if your brother has a, a cause against you, go and quickly be made right with him. Otherwise, he's going to hand, hand you over to the court and the court will hand you over to the prison officers and then you'll be thrown into prison, right? And it'll be worse for you had you been in prison than had you just paid your due to the person who's wanting to sue you. So in the same way, we should advocate for quickly making amends with brothers who have a difference against us. However, that doesn't mean that you um, know who the accuser and the victim are. The black person could be the accuser and not the victim in that scenario. And in that case, they should be corrected, not the white brother. So that's why this is unbalanced. It's trying to push a narrative that BLM needs to be heard. It's not just a generic narrative as he's framing it, that we should all just be like a stew. It's actually, you need to listen to Black Lives Matter. That's what this, this preaching is on. So this kind of preaching, just to emphasize, goes right towards the end, is spoken all over the United States in conservative churches, in large conservative churches. Perimeter is conservative. Bethlehem Baptist Church perimeter. This kind of speaking was being done at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Again, those, those men have excised themselves. Um, so praise God. I hope this kind of preaching destroys itself. It eats itself. It is poisonous to the church. But it's not nearly as noticeable as, you know, the guy with the bandana and the do-rag on going like, you know, Give me a thousand dollars. That kind of guy we can all like giggle and laugh at. And he's like, Jesus was never real. You know, it's not the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I'm not sure if Jesus is actually God kind of thing, right? Those kind of things you can, you can easily see and laugh at. But when this kind of guy comes into the church, I think it's more insidious because he talks better. Um, it's not nearly as ridiculous. And he hits on a lot of cultural points that we've learned to just accept because that's the way the world talks. And so we're accepting how he talks when he talks that way. But it is wrong. It's insidious. He did a bait and switch with ethnicity being equal to different roles in the body. So he's playing on your emotions um, that are right when, when in the right context and putting them in the wrong context and wanting to react the same way. Um, do you have any last closing co comments? Otherwise, we're going to let him close out for us. Don't focus on your cultural makeup. I say this as a very, actually, very truly a mixed person, I would say. Mm -hmm. We have had conversations in the past. I don't know what really am I. Am I Arabic Peruvian? Am I native Peruvian? Am I Danish Peruvian? Am I Peruvian American? Who knows? But that doesn't matter. That's all mm -hmm. water under the bridge. Because now I have a much better identity, which is in Christ Jesus, who no matter where I go in the world and... You know, I have an, uh, an interest in languages. So if I was to go to France, Germany, or Italy, 
and you know, communicate with the people, or Denmark even, to speak to the people, my, the people there, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to have a great things in common, even though we just met for the first time, and we share that same identity, which is spiritually centered in Christ Jesus, not your culture. It might be inconvenient because you express yourself differently, sure, but that's not the point. The point is your identity now as a Christian mm -hmm. is not on your nationality. We're not Christian nationalists. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be ethno-Christian or whatever. Yeah. It is Christ-centered. How are we serving the body? Let's focus on that. What does our community need? Let's focus spiritually and with discernment and wisdom on what we can do to be a light and salt for the world. That depends on what you mean by Christian nationalism, but yeah. On the world's view of what Christian nationalism means, which is essentially ethno-Christian nationalism, yes. then yeah, I disagree. Yes. I kind of don't like that that's become what it means to the world because I think Christian nationalism can be a good thing, depending on how it's defined, but whatever. We'll put that a story for another day. Yes. We sang louder to drown out the sound. How much of that happens in our church? How much, how, how much of our church is being the chapel while drowning out the cries from the chamber in our, in our very church? There are people that may be struggling, suffering, dealing with any number of things, and they're looking for a safe community with whom they can process this. They're looking for a place where the gospel, the love of the gospel can be massaged into those places. They're looking for radical community. I can tell you this, that a large... They're looking for something that pleases their ears. They've been hurt by the media's push for our BLM stuff, right? The killing of George Floyd. And they're panicked about it because somebody told them to panic. And they come into the church expecting to have pleased ears and the church to tell them your concerns are valid and we care about that too. And instead, somebody tells them that's actually not a valid concern. That's poisonous and, and spews division. And now they're offended. Yeah. I mean, if it was true, if they should be concerned about George Floyd, then the whole church should be concerned. They shouldn't just be heard and validated. They should, the whole church should be preaching against it. But the thing is, the killing of George Floyd is not a um, nationwide issue. It was made a nationwide issue by people trying to push a narrative. So we know it's poison. It's a poisonous to the to the nation, let alone the church. So um, that's the, we were beating a dead horse, but that's the key issue here is what he's allowing into the church, not who. There's a number of atheists and agnostics and unchurched as well as de-churched bring this thing up. They're like, it's so great that you talk about this love, this Jesus. But honestly, when I look at how churches look on Sunday, I can't possibly believe that that's this radical love you're talking about because these people don't seem to demonstrate it. <laughs> you know, agnostics are always like, there's, there's segregated churches. That's why I'm not a Christian because they're too racist. I think they hate God. I'm pretty sure that's the reason they are not in the church. No one is good, not even one. But I submit to you that the Holy Spirit is at work. God is building his church, and this is the community he's called us into. We agree. God is building his church, and he's sure going is. to get rid of bad, bad, bad theology. And he already does. I mean, sometimes that's church die, um, so this is not a guarantee that your local church will not suffer and die, but I'll speak from Bethlehem Baptist Church's perspective and say that we've survived and um, will thrive. I don't like to speak too much because I'm not a representative of uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church, but just to say that I've seen churches personally that have survived these kind of attacks from the enemy, and um, we should be careful about dealing with them because we shouldn't just ridicule them in saying, ha, 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 I watched Tucker Carlson, I watched Ben Shapiro, and they said CRT is bad, you're bad, bye-bye. We should be able to engage somebody talking like this and say, here's the reasons you're wrong, here's the reasons that we shouldn't be viewing the church like a stew, and here's the reasons that CRT in particular is not an issue we should be concerned about. So even if you agree with the stew model, which I don't, even if you agree with that, these particular issues should still be called out and destroyed. Um, 
and don't let this kind of deceiving talk fool you. Because this, again, we could have picked crazy cliffs. This is not a crazy cliff. This is the kind of thing you would actually experience at church. And I think we have to be very careful to note that this is evil. It doesn't look evil. It is evil. That's why we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael Mayhem. The machine and to my right has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. If you want to see our video episodes and see our lovely faces, you can go to youtube.com and search Found Cause or go to facebook.com forward slash Found Cause or you can go to iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcast to listen to us there. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.